This morning's reading is from Paul's letter to the Romans, 8th chapter, beginning at the 18th verse. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Well, today, as uh, we're in lockdown again, uh, my cute little introduction to the new sermon series we're about to do uh, isn't quite applicable, so I'm just doing another introduction before the introduction, if I can put it that way. Most of us have now experienced multiple cancellations of special gatherings, events, celebrations, and we've all, one way or another, been profoundly impacted by the various lockdowns we've had to endure. We've all had lots of personal challenges and we're all living with a mix of quiet resolution, unresolved frustration and perhaps even in some cases a lot of anger. In the past year I've been met a number of times with a younger leader who I have a lot of respect for uh, and he's been like palpably white hot with rage about the impact uh, of the lockdowns and it's been kind of hard to work out how best to engage with him and support him uh, because he I think has got into a place where He's become a bit overwhelmed by the whole thing. It's been challenging, and to try and work out how best to respond has been a big issue, I think, for lots of us. Uh, by contrast, last Sunday I happened to be in Rabina in, on the Gold Coast where I was preaching. Uh, they go to church early in Queensland, so the first service was at 7.30. Uh, if you go to far north, far north Queensland, which I've done and preached, it starts at 7, so you've got to be up about early in Queensland. Uh, the vicar rector rather got up and announced that he was really hoping that this week they would be releasing, relaxing their restrictions uh, and they wouldn't have to wear face masks. And uh, after the service I asked, so how long have you been wearing face masks in church? And he said two weeks, which <laughs> I found profoundly bizarre, uh, but it was a really big issue for Queenslanders to have to wear a face mask at all. Well, uh, we're all in a different situation. This lockdown may end on Tuesday, hopefully in God's providence it will, but it's likely there will be another. And we all have that looming sense that perhaps life will never really return to some degree of normalcy 
uh, until we're much more highly and fully vaccinated, and that's been particularly challenging. Uh, no one fully knows the impact on churches because it has impacted churches. There have been many blessings through the use of contemporary technology, uh, but there have also been lots of other things that we've had to endure, face up to and uh, work through. And that's not unique to St. Columns, it's true for every church. So this is a time to care for each other and to reach out to each other. You can still go for a walk with someone. You can still ring people up and chat. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse uh, if we were told, cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Uh, and that's a great encouragement, is it not? To think about the fact that we have a having heavenly father who uh, is concerned for us both personally and together, uh, and he's big enough and loving enough to ask us, to invite us, in fact, to cast our cares upon him. Uh, and it's great and encouraging to know that, in fact, he cares for us. So take him up on that and know his care and know his love. Uh, We're going to be starting a new series, uh, and I want you to think about some of these images that you'll see on the screen, because chances are lots of us will relate to these pictures. Lots of us are people who have too many things, too many people, too many activities to attend to, too many issues to respond to, too many meetings to go to, too many messages in multiple platforms to respond to. I happen to chair a couple of boards, and they all use different platforms for how to communicate internally and how to to do documents, and I have to be incredibly flexible and adept to work out how to respond to the various technical requirements of each of those groups. Too many tricky conversations to follow up on, too many meals to prepare and eat, too many challenges to be on top of, too many causes that demand our time and attention. People like us, people at St. Columns, tend to be people who are very committed people with significant family responsibilities, significant work responsibilities, significant relational commitments, significant fitness boxes to tick, significant volunteer engagements, significant hills to climb up the career ladder, significant things to look after, ageing parents, the house, the holiday house, the cars, the memberships, and all the other things that go with living in the sort of context in which we live. And many, in many cases, significant decisions to make about our lives both today and in the future. Now, in the midst of these and many other demands, it's very likely that there will be some bigger and bigger and deeper things that are going on that will be challenging and perplexing for at least some of us, if not many of us. Well, we all know that if we eat too much and never exercise, it'll potentially lead to significant health outcomes, which won't be positive. If we never go outside and get some fresh air and sunlight, then it's likely we'll get sick. And in the same way, each of us are prone to certain things sneaking up on us, whether we're noticing or not, which is why we're thinking about in this series, Didn't See It Coming. The series is based on a book by a guy called Kerry Niehoff, who's a Canadian, not American. Uh, I think it's a contemporary classic. He covers some really significant stuff in terms of what can happen in our lives and probably is or does happen in our lives. Uh, in terms of how we don't or do respond to particular situations. Uh, Chances are you won't necessarily relate to all of these situations, but it wouldn't be as surprising if you didn't relate to some of them. The weekly topics uh, do seem confronting. Cynicism, compromise, disconnection, irrelevance, pride and emptiness. And he has another whole section on burnout, which we'll be touching on as one of those topics. Uh, We're not doing this series to make anyone feel guilty, but rather to think about how to avoid uh, things that you didn't see coming 
uh, and the potential situations that might lead to them. Now, as a church, uh, as part of our preaching, we will do a range of things in the course of any year. We'll do a book of the Old Testament. We'll do something from one of the epistles. We've recently done 1 Peter. We'll do something from the New Testament Gospels. And we'll do something that relates to the seasons of the church year. It's likely we'll do something that's a doctrinal series where we're trying to unpack what the whole of the scriptures teach about a particular area of Christian thinking or thought or behaviour. And uh, we'll also do something that relates to particularly uh, local or contemporary issues of our day. Uh, Nearly all of the series will have related small group studies, and that's true for this series as well. So uh, if we weren't, we're not here today, so you can't buy the books, unfortunately, but we do have copies of this book to purchase, uh, and they'll be available uh, during the week by negotiation, I guess, but uh, next Sunday, hopefully, we'll be meeting here physically, and there are small group studies that I've written to go with each of the studies. They'll be available online on our website tomorrow and physically uh, next Sunday. Well, today we're thinking about cynicism, and I did love the little thing that Peter Uh, Horsford wrote during the week, he says, a deep Melbourne winter is the perfect breeding ground for cinematitis to flourish. COVID-19, political polarisation, too much media and a lack of UV can turn us into monstrous beasts of burden or something akin to that. We all have people, situations and conversations that bring out the worst in us. Thank goodness for the Psalms. We are patently not alone in our broodings and we have brighter days ahead with great reason for optimism. Well, he called it cinematitis, rather. Uh, We're thinking today about cynicism. Now, at the outset, it should be said that we're living in an era of unprecedented scepticism and cynicism. Just reflect on where we've ended up with the vaccine rollout in our country, where there are incredible levels of cynicism and scepticism about what's going on with that rollout. Public confidence in institutions is at an all-time low. Sir Kenneth Hayne, who chaired the Royal Commission into the Financial Institutions, wrote an article a year or so back where he talked about the fact that the proliferation of Royal Commissions that we've had in recent years, uh, while each has been significant in themselves, has actually undermined confidence in government because they give the impression that, that in a sense, governments can't handle all of these issues and we have to have a commission of inquiry into what's gone wrong. Uh, And he said, in a way that's been not necessarily planned, it actually has undermined people's confidence. In many circles, the responses today is one of permanent scepticism and cynicism. Just about think about women and parliament and what's gone in our parliaments. Uh, It's not hard not to be a bit sceptical about the response to that to date. And just think about our response to the environmental crisis, the lack of defining action and any aspirations. And again, one can be cynical and sceptical. Now, that's one side I didn't see it it coming challenge. The other side is a bit more less obvious and a bit more insidious. Niehoff titles this chapter, Find Me a Happy Lawyer, uh, which is a very uh, strange way to put the opening chapter title, don't you think? But the subtitle is, 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 How Cynicism Snuffs Out Hope. Uh, Funnily, Blackburn, Karen and I lived in Blackburn North when we had our little kids, we used to go to St Alfred's of Blackburn North and nearly all of the cohort of people who were in our age bracket having kids were lawyers other than us. And it was interesting to note that along the way lots of those lawyers uh, weren't particularly happy in the profession that they'd ended up in. 
That doesn't mean all lawyers are unhappy, of course, uh, but they seem to be a bit grumpy about the situation they're in. They're working prodigious hours. Uh, they were being, while they were being well remunerated, they were often grumpy and a bit overwhelmed by their situation. So how is it that you can go from being idealistic to cynical in a few short years? Even more, how is it that when people are seemingly very successful, they can become cynical and jaded? Maybe you've noticed this too. Your friend who has had her heart broken by a series of unhealthy relationships. Your university colleague who has, was moral, has morally sold out, been remarkably successful, uh, but isn't necessarily in a great place. Your family member who is involved in criminal justice has become jaded and sceptical because of the horrible situations they've had to confront. You have a work colleague who is incredibly negative and shoots down your great ideas. The church has failed to respond to issues related to the treatment of women, and you've become sceptical about whether it will in fact respond effectively and well. You haven't had the opportunities you assumed you would have in your workplace, and you've become cynical and jaded. I suspect many people are quietly cynical about the church in general and perhaps their local church. They still go, but they're often critical and often disappointed. Well, it's easy for the optimism of one's 20s to lead to the realism of one's 30s, and if one's careful, the cynicism of, not careful rather, the cynicism of one's 40s and beyond. Each of us potentially can become a complete grump in our old age. Uh, I've always said that if I get to that point, will someone just take me out and do something because I don't want to end up being one of those grumpy old people that we sometimes encounter. So how does this happen? Well, there are three potential reasons. Firstly, you know too much. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 18, it says, "With, with much wisdom comes much sorrow, and the more knowledge, the more grief. It does sound odd, doesn't it? The fact that you have more knowledge can actually lead to more grief. As we go on in life, we can get burned and we, we can have bad experiences. People can let us down and hurt us. We can actually, fact, in actual fact, know too much. And because we know too much, we've seen too much. Now, of course, much knowledge is a wonderful thing and we should be thankful for the access to knowledge that we easily have in our day and age. But it can also mean that we know more about what life is really like. We can become more aware of our own frailties and flaws, and we can become more aware of the impact that others have on us, if not the impact that we have on others. And if we're not careful, it can do our heads in. But secondly, you project the past onto the future. Cynicism grows when you start to protect yourself from the future hurt. You've been burned once or twice, and you don't want it to happen again. So you guard your heart, and you seek to shelter it, from any particular and future hurt. The next step is to guard your heart from future pain by projecting into situations before they happen so that you won't get hurt again. In other words, you become cynical about people and about situations because you're projecting the past onto the future. When I was the vicar of my first parish, the former vicar maintained incredibly active relationships with a uh, large group of the parishioners who he'd had a lot to do with. Uh, and it became a bit of a challenge for me personally because every time I would go and visit someone in hospital, I would discover that the previous vicar had already been there. Uh, and people would say sometimes, well, it's lovely for you to come, but such and such has already been here this morning and prayed with me. Uh, and it was as if it didn't really matter because, uh, in a sense, their ministry had been fulfilled by their previous vicar. 
Now, after a while, it was easy for me to become sort of jaded and cynical about this situation because it didn't seem as hard as I tried that I could compete with this previous vicar. Uh, It would have been hard, therefore, to actually, in a sense, feel fully satisfied in that situation, and the result could have been that I became jaded and sceptical myself. Well, thirdly, you decide to stop trusting, hoping and believing. Because of past hurts, you withdraw from people and you've built up a great friendship with another couple or family. All of us have had this happen and then they uproot, they move interstate or overseas and you have to start again and you have to ask yourself again and again, do I have the energy to invest in new relationships? Cynicism impacts your work relationships and eventually your more intimate relationships. It can even impact you and your relationship with God. When you close your heart to people, you close your heart to God. And if we harden our hearts, it impacts all of our relationships, even with God himself. You can become sceptical about church leadership and turn up at church looking disengaged and disinterested. Now, ironically, if we become chronically cynical, you'll most likely be desperate to get out of that place, but you're so close up, it's hard to get out of it. As Neil Hoff puts it in the book, what we need to see is that cynicism is actually a choice we make. Cynics aren't born, they're made. Life doesn't make you a cynic, you make you a cynic. Cynicism is a decision to stop hoping, to stop trusting, to stop believing. Cynics don't change anything. Ask them, they'll tell you why it can't happen. Now, I wonder whether any of us recognise any of that in ourselves or others. The good news is that there is a path back. And if you're willing to recognise you've ended up in this place and you don't want to stay stuck there, then there are ways to actually deal with this issue of not seeing the fact that you've become a cynic and therefore a burden to yourself and others. So, kicking cynicism in the teeth. I don't know whether you've ever thought about this before, but Jesus had every reason to become a sceptic and cynic himself. He was born into total obscurity, and when he burst onto the scene at the age of 30, people were dubious and sceptical about who was this person and the claims that he was making. He went about preaching and healing and doing amazing things, and yet the more good that he did, the more his critics got louder, and the more the condemnation grew about who he was and what he was on about. They were living in expectation of the Messiah coming and he was doing all the things that Messiah was expected to do and yet he wasn't recognised by many as the Messiah. The opposition became so intense that they had him arrested, falsely tried and convicted. He was put to death and he overcame death in his mighty resurrection. Humanity threw its very worst at him and yet he overcame. Racism, jealousy, hatred, abuse ridicule, rejection, and death. Now, the wonderful thing about being Christian is that you are in a relationship with a God who cares and who understands. He knows what life can throw up. He's been battered and abused. He's been rejected and derided, and yet he kept coming back. Jesus knows the hurt that you may be carrying, which may be part of the reason why you've ended up becoming cynical and a bit withdrawn, He's aware of the anger or hatred that you may, may be present in your heart and he wants to, he, and he returns it with love. He can see your cynicism and scepticism and he wants you to come into a new place. So how do we embrace hope and how do we move out of the hole that we've dug ourselves into? 
How do we become hopeful people who are optimistic and who see new possibilities? Well, in Romans 8, we have one of the most stirring passages in the whole of the New Testament. Uh, And there is much one could say about this wonderful passage, but let's focus on verses 26 to 30, where it says, In the same way, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with God's will. Well, what an encouragement to know that, that the Holy Spirit is with us and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, even our cynicism and our scepticism. The Holy Spirit, amazingly, is interceding for us and he's bringing before God the Father these issues and challenges that we face that may have led us to be in the place that we've ended up in. Even if we aren't aware of it, the Spirit is praying for us to discover God's will and to move into a new place. Do you think God wants you to be jaded and defensive, to be cynical and grumpy? Without us even necessarily noticing it, God is providing a way out of this dark place that we may have ended up in. And as it goes on to say in the passage, all things work together for good, for those who love him. That's right, all things. Our disappointments, our past hurts, our current challenges and realities, our sicknesses, our failures, our anxieties and our fears. I wonder where we do believe that, that God is actually with us in all things. Uh, It's hard to believe that a lot of the time, but that is the promise and that's one we have to claim and live on the basis of. And even more than that, all that God wants for us, he intends for us to have. Already we're predestined, already we're called, already we're justified, and already we have the hope of being glorified. And therefore God wants us to embrace the positivity that comes from those things, the joy, the openness, the optimism, and the sense of being connected. So how do we rediscover a sense of curiosity and get out of this hole of cynicism? Well, five simple suggestions to break free of cynicism. Firstly, set aside more time for thinking. And being in lockdown is an ideal time to set aside time for more thinking because just about everything else in our lives has been put on hold. Seek to carve out some considered time to reflect and pray. Maybe go for a long walk. Maybe find somewhere which is quiet and uninterrupted. I know that those those of you who are cooped up at home with little children will find this challenging, uh, so maybe you need to give your partner permission to have the chance to do this. Uh, and then reverse the opportunity when, you, when you're able to manage it. Uh, it, if, it. If, however, it's the beginning of a new start, it's worth negotiating. You may find it better doing it with a close friend or a trusted mentor, but use the lockdown to read a book or to spend some extended time in prayer. And if, in fact, you are dealing with past hurts which are impacting you today, you might need to someone, see someone professionally to work and think that through. But secondly, ask open-ended questions. Become, ask open-ended questions, become more curious, seek to reconnect relationally and stir your inner child by delighting in life and all of its possibilities. Uh, and we do live in a context where there are many great things that we can participate or share in, many things that we can see or delight in, uh, and we ought to therefore ask questions about all of that and that can open up our minds and our hearts afresh to new possibilities. Related to asking open-ended questions is give fewer answers. 
seek to hold back from always having every answer or making a smart remark. We all know how tedious it can be to be someone who actually seems to know everything about everything and is the smartest person in the room. They're not much fun to be around. If you hold back, then you'll help to draw others out and they'll feel blessed by being with you. Relationships may become more spontaneous and enjoyable rather than ones that are jaded and cynical. And dream a bit. If we open ourselves up to new possibilities, we'll dream more. This involves overcoming our profound need to always feel like we're in control. Be open to new possibilities. Listen to some uplifting podcasts. Read some great books. Talk to more people. Listen to God and dream dreams and see new possibilities. And fifthly and lastly, ask two pivotal questions. Why and why not? Get back to your inner child. Ask why and why not questions. The curious have a natural sense of wonder and are open to seeing things differently. This may seem obvious, but we can train ourselves to be more curious, and in this way cynicism will dissipate and we'll be in a much better place. We might like to start ourselves, we might like to start ourselves a lot, a lot sorry, like uh, to like, I'll start that one again. We might start to like ourselves a lot more and others will find us a lot easier to be near. Remember, cynics are never curious and the curious are never cynical. Now just imagine the joy of the gospel and all that it means for you becomes a reality again. You rediscover that God does love you and that he has good things in mind for you to both today and in the future. There will be struggles, there will be knockbacks, the baby will still wake at 2.30 in the morning if you're blessed with a small child, and you'll, but, but you'll react differently. Not every time, but in an overall sense. You'll be more fun to be with, and you'll be someone that people seek out because you'll be optimistic and not cynical, negative, and sceptical. You'll sense that you are a new creation made to serve God and to serve others. It's good to contemplate what we might end up being when we're 80 or 90 years old. It's uh, good to think about the sort of person you'd like to be in that situation. What's happened to you between now and then? Has your heart grown? Has it hardened? Is your mind flourishing or have you shut it down? Are you alive and filled with wonder? And do you love God and love God's people? Are you keen to serve and to be served? They're all good things to contemplate as we seek to deal with our own cynicism and as we think about the future. I did start with uh, reading from Peter and uh, the piece that he put in the newsletter this week, and I liked what he had to say there, which were his suggestions as well. He says, My antidote to cinematitis, uh, Melbus, is as follows. Do something small that gives you joy. Read a psalm a day. See the French Impressionists at the NGV. And I might add, see the Australian Impressionists at the NGV Australia. An amazing uh, collection of all the finest Australian Impressionist work from around the country. Go to the Brighton Dog Beach. Drive the road between Warrigal and Lee and Gatha. Are we allowed to do that at present? No, but when, we, when we're out of lockdown. Uh, visit the Gold, Goldby family and see the hope that resides there. Get on your knees and ask God that he would make you flourish. Eat a meat pie. That's kind of curious, but uh, obviously it works for him. Well, uh, we, that's, there's some other thing, antidotes, I think, to cynicism which we can kick in the teeth if we decide we don't want to stay in that place. Amen.